podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to another edition of the podcast that's not a podcast podcast. Described by Reddit as one of those dumb hipstery names for a podcast, totally missing out on people getting even a clue what the podcast is about from its name. I don't really have a leg to stand on there, do I? Anyway, it's a special episode today because it's the first of two big ones this week and it comes after a lot has been happening both inside and outside F1. It has been a bit of a wait during lockdown but the sport was kind enough to find time for Ross Braun to come on the show and talk about a wide variety of topics from the confirmed calendar to new regulations, the future of Williams and tough items such as how F1 can become more inclusive and make a difference after Lewis Hamilton's criticism of silence amid the growing movement to address racial injustice earlier this week. There's even time for some of your questions for one of the most important people in the sport. Ross, thanks very much for joining the podcast that is not a podcast podcast, which is a, a title I regret a little bit more every time I say it. Uh, how are you doing this morning? Good. Remarkably busy, uh, although I'm working from home now. So um, I've been working from home, from home for quite a few weeks and uh, there's some aspects you miss, but actually it's remarkably efficient. Now, I usually get people to have a drink on this show, um, but seeing as it's 11 o'clock, I'm going to let you off, uh, especially as even my laptop is struggling with how early it is and it's throwing all some, sorts of things uh, at me right I now. I've got some water here, so. Oh, there we go. That's, that's good. I was going to say, I need a cup of tea, um, but I was running too late to even sort that. Um, but uh, it has been a, a very big week for Formula One and certainly in the wider world too. Uh, but we're going to start with the sports announcements this week. Uh, the first eight races are confirmed. Uh, which I should stress is not a final calendar. Uh, obviously, it's it's the European rounds for now. How much work went into putting that together uh, from Formula One side? Uh, it was huge. And, you know, with so many variables and so many situations changing, marrying them all together and doing it in a safe way uh, has been a massive challenge. And... Uh, yeah, there's so many aspects to it. There's the logistical aspects, there's the safety aspects, there's the economic aspects, um, because, of course, we anticipate most of these races, or if not all of them, will be closed. Whether whether that we're able to loosen that up near the end, we don't know. And that situation is changing on a day-by-day basis. But as soon as you have a closed race, there's no income to the promoter. So you have to find a different financial model that's going to work for everyone. And you know, we we want to get um, uh, Formula One back out there. We want to get it back on the TV screens and computer screens and laptops and iPhones or whatever people are using to watch the sport. And um, so we've had to come up with lots of different models and each uh, promoter is different. So it's been a huge amount of work. And I think we've now got a European calendar that um, should should be okay. Um, we all know this situation changes rapidly uh, in every country, but at the moment I'm confident we can we can fill the European season. And I think we're all going to be massive relief when we get racing again. Yeah, I know a lot of people are looking forward to it, and it's important as well to the sport as a whole and the industry that it supports. Um, you mentioned there uh, the European. Uh, calendar or the European season is that it uh, after Italy for Europe or how flexible are you having to be in terms of what you look at beyond the races that have been confirmed well our objective of course is to have uh, races fairly consistently from the point we start in July until we finish at the end of November or early December and 
therefore, we, you know, whether we continue into Europe for another few races or whether we're able to then get away to some of the flyways is still to be decided. And um, the flyaway races obviously pose another level of complication in terms of people getting there. The large, large longer lead times because equipment uh, has to be flown or go via sea freight. So we're not we're not able to respond as rapidly as we can to a European race. So uh, that's why it's not been announced yet. And of course, all these countries are at different phases of dealing with this terrible uh, pandemic we have. And um, some seem to be on the other side of it. Others still seem to be on the, the upward slope. So we'll, um, I think we can put together a reasonable flyaway uh, second half of the season. Um, but still working on it. Now, I'd like to ask you actually directly about your role, because here we're talking about uh, commercial reasons as well, why you have to do different deals with different promoters, but your direct role is manager, managing director of motorsports. So what has that meant you've needed to focus on when approaching this restart to racing? Um, you know, m- motor racing is... We're a group of people who are very good at uh, managing logistics and managing challenges and, and finding procedures to make sure. I mean, you know, if you look at the reliability of these Formula 1 cars, it's remarkable. And they're incredibly complex pieces of equipment, but remarkable reliability because we have so many uh, robust systems that we've put in place to check everything, to maintain everything, to know exactly how many miles every component has done, etc. So we're kind of logistical freaks in a way in, in, in terms of Formula 1. So meeting the challenge of delivering safe races has been the same thing. What is the procedures we will have to follow? What is the knowledge we have? Where are the experts who can tell us um, what we need to respect and how we need to operate? And together with the FA, we've come together, and 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 it is a huge challenge. And uh, we're meeting um, twice a week to discuss the, the requirements. Um, and there'll be pre-briefs before the race. There'll be debriefs after the race, lessons learned, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know, I think we'll do a pretty good job in Austria, but we'll learn things from it, and we need to then apply those things for the next race and the next race. But that's what Formula 1 is actually very good at. So the mindset of the people, you know, Steve Nielsen, who works on um, uh, Formula 1 side, and Michael Massey, who works on the FIA side, they're racing people, they're, their backgrounds are years of racing. And they're used to you know, these sort of challenges and all the detail that goes with it to make sure nothing can fall through the holes. And... Um, so we've been largely occupied with that. But in the middle of that, we've had all the negotiations on, on the new regulations. The response we had to make to the economic impact of this virus, um, because it's huge. And uh, we had to give some direction to how Formula One should respond. Um, because even in a, even in quite frankly, even in a uh, a situation as difficult as coronavirus, there's still teams defending their competitive position, uh, and I don't blame them. I mean, that's the nature of the sport. 
but we, um, FIA, had to take a guiding hand on, apply a guiding hand on what was right for the sport to do. So the cost cap, which had already been voted through, we managed to get the uh, serious reductions in the amount of money a teams are spending. We've frozen the current car and it will be continued into next year as an immediate action. Uh, so there's been all sorts of initiatives to reduce the financial pressure on the teams, yet still deliver a, you know, a fully engaging, fully entertaining Formula One. So really, that's what's that's what my days have been busy at. So the commercial technical side, which is all part of the same thing, and then helping support all the work that's going into making sure these races can be operating so, so safely. Yeah, it was it was only last week everyone was talking about the new regulations and the budget cap and the aerodynamic testing restrictions, which I would like, like to ask a little bit more about in a second. But since then, uh, the talk of reverse grid qualifying races came back out and it certainly got fans talking. Um, it split opinion, did, but did, did they like it? a lot of interest. <laughs> oh, to be fair, so I did a poll. I need to, um, while we're on here, actually, I did a Twitter poll that had thousands of responses. And the last time I looked, um, I'll, I'll find it while you're answering the next question, but the last time I looked, it was generally positive reaction. They wanted to see it. Mm. Uh, they certainly were saying that in this time, with the race schedule that was coming up, why, why not try? Um, but it looks like it will be blocked based on the fact that, as I understand it, we need unanimous agreement from the teams. Toto Wolf yesterday was still very strongly against it on a conference call we did with him, saying that he thinks F1 should be a meritocracy um, and fastest car and driver needs to be winning, not having to uh, deal with what he calls gimmicks. Um, I'm sure you've heard these reasons from him yourself. Um, were It was blocked at the end of the last season. Were you more hopeful that it would have more support this time around? I was because we're in different circumstances. We're going to have two races at the same track. Uh, on at least two occasions and maybe even later in the year. Um, so it did seem an ideal opportunity. Um, it is novel and I accept that you know when you when you do these things you've got to be careful not to damage the integrity of Formula One. but for me it was still a, a strong competition. I didn't get the meritocracy bit because um, you know the in in starting the qualifying race on a Saturday with a reverse grid, you, you know, depending on how the championship was going, you would have the guy who was leading the championship on the back and the guy who was second in championship next to him and the guy who was third in the championship just in front of him. And therefore, you've got uh, a tremendous battle within the championship contenders, but a different challenge. The challenge is not to, well, maybe you can win that race, but the challenge is to fight your way through the field. And my uh, sort of comments on this was not only do we want to know who is the fastest racing driver, we want to know who's the best racer. And for me, that that um, would reveal it pretty quickly. And uh, we may have our views, but there would be a demonstration. So if there was a randomness about the process, you know, pick out of the hat where you're going to go on the grid, I can see why that would, would people would see that as a gimmick. There was no randomness to this. This was the best guys are going to be at, collectively going to be at the back of the grid and they have to fight their way through in the qualifying race, half an hour of, of uh, hammer and tong battle on a Saturday afternoon. And you'll probably make some judgments on how hard you want to go on a Saturday afternoon to where you want to get on a Sunday. I understand that, but 
Uh, I didn't see it as a gimmick and um, with very unusual circumstances because we have uh, two or maybe three occasions where we're going to have the same uh, a race on consecutive weekends at the same track. We can't reverse the tracks. Lots of people have asked why we can't do that. And just unfortunately, the safety standards and the way the tracks are configured, you, know, you look at the barriers and the barriers are designed so that you, know, you glance off them one way. If you hit them going the other way, you, you do yourself a lot of damage. So it's just not feasible, unfortunately, to reverse the tracks. And um, we may get lucky. We may find that you know, we go to Austria and there is um, a chance of some different weather. It's the first few races of the season and it could be pretty mixed up. And we may be fortunate. Um, interestingly for me, the people who've been the strongest in Austria in the last couple of years, Red Bull, were one of the biggest supporters of the idea. So they were prepared to, uh, to do it. So it's a little frustrating, but I think that is part of the um, aspects of Formula 1 which in the future need to change. I think unanimous decisions have always been, by the competitors have always been difficult. I think we need the opinion of the competitors, we need to listen, and we need to have the majority of competitors in favour of these ideas. And I think if you have, if you can't convince the majority, then you're failing. But if you get one or maybe two people stopping something which the vast majority want, an F1 want, an FIA want, that's frustrating. Yeah, I, I, Ferrari say to me that they felt it was a, a very strong majority that wanted it uh, as well. And yeah, I found the poll um, over two and a half thousand votes. So not as big as Formula One itself could have got, but on my little Twitter feed, uh, 71% were in favour. Um, 47% of that said it was worth a try right now and 24% said it was a great idea. Uh, so only 29% were negative towards it. So it does seem and that fans and are. Think, and I think if you explain it in the way we've just tried to do, I wonder about the ones who say they don't like it, whether they understood fully what the opportunities were. Because if you've got people saying it's a gimmick, well, unfortunately, it creates negative feeling. But I don't feel it is a gimmick. And that's, that's the uh, crucial point. Mm. And can it still happen or is it too late now? Is, is the kind of opportunity gone? Um, well, it can't happen uh, unless we have unanimity, which it doesn't sound like we're going to have. But we are still looking at um, what we can do for that second race to perhaps put a, a slightly different complexion on it uh, so that we can encourage people to run on the Friday and um, we can maybe add a slightly different flavour, again, keeping the integrity of the uh, uh, the sport. So perhaps what compounds people are allowed to use or... Yeah, I have, I have a, you know, some nuance to that second race that we can just add a little bit of um, element to it that the fans can engage in and, and find interesting without making it gimmicky. Yeah. Uh, are they things that you've um, presented to the teams already and that you can... Let us know about no, or is it not. still to be discussed? Um, we've, we've got a discussion this week with the FA. To, uh, now we've had the sort of prime idea uh, rejected, then we've got um, we, and we'll have to take it to the teams and the teams will have to um, agree. Yeah, um, I've got to give a shout out here actually to one of the Reddit questions that came in from someone called Encryption um, who wrote a 900 word qualifying concept um with the whole concept the rationale uh, you know why it would work what the drawbacks were uh, it's excellent i'll send it to liam just so that it goes to you okay. but um it, it, was, it was far too long for me to read out right now unfortunately but i, I felt 
compelled to pass it on because they spent a lot of time on it. Uh, points um, included on Saturday. One thing, I, one thing I'd say on that is we always welcome those proposals. I mean, you know, I've had a lot of proposals run the race the other way around. And of course, in fairness, the fans don't always know the detail. And there's a reason why we can't do that. But often you know, you'll get proposals and maybe the whole idea doesn't work, but you pick up things from it. And uh, it just triggers things. They lodge in the uh, subconscious that comes out later. So don't be afraid to send in your ideas. And uh, we we welcome them all. And apologies if you don't get a response, but we do get hundreds of them. Yeah, I bet. I bet. But um, it's, it's great to see that you guys look at them. Um, now, moving from one topic that had fans divided a lot to another one that's been very sensitive this last week that's um, been encompassed by what's going on in the wider world around us is uh, the topic of racial injustice, because Lewis came out with some very strong comments uh, at the weekend. And he's, in my opinion, he's been increasingly honest and impressive in terms of his using his voice uh, on wider issues the longer he's been in Formula One. Uh, but he started this week with uh, a criticism of the silence that he felt was um, deafening from the sport and the sport's biggest stars, as he put it, uh, on Sunday night. Now, he does remain the only black driver in Formula One. Um, but what can the sport and motorsport as a whole, do you think, do to increase opportunities and increase diversity within the sport? Um, it's a very real topic for us. And, um, and there is a strong initiative and a group working within Formula One and within the FIA to increase the opportunities for people. And we believe that starts at the very beginning. So we believe that starts with um, karting and how that operates. I mean, you know, if you, if you talk about football, what do you need to play football? You know, it's pretty basic for kids to be able to go off and play football. But if you want to participate in motorsport, there's some costs involved, uh, even at the very basic level. So we're looking at how we can support grassroots mud racing. And I think, I hope in the next six, nine months, 12 months, you'll see some things coming through that we're going to work with the FIA, with the FIA to look at karting at grassroots level to try and create a situation where the, at least for that first level, the um, opportunity is there for everyone. To, to participate and you won't need thousands to, to be able to you know, make that first step on the ladder. It is, you know, the nature of motorsport is that, you know, as you progress through it, it becomes more and more expensive sport. You need support, you need backers and you need sponsors and so on. But I think anyone who shows uh, extreme ability in the early stages will get supported. Um, and that, that's for um, uh, gender equality, that's for um, the minority groups, that's for everyone. You know, we want to. So I think what I would say is with the new ownership in Formula One, the Liberty Media and Chase Carey and the people that have become involved now are incredibly supportive, and this is a priority for them. So perhaps. If I may say, in, in the past, there's not been a lot of uh, there's not been a lot of effort made. Um, it's now being made, and I see it being made. Um, we would have had some races from the W Series in Formula One this year if, if the crisis hadn't hit, and we're hoping the next year we can support them. Um, 
we <coughs> we support the uh, Dare to Be Different charity to help. We support Form 1 in schools. We support uh, Form 1 students. We do a lot of things where we're trying to um, give greater opportunity for all sorts of groups. So it's happening. Maybe we're not we're not uh, making a lot of noise about it, but I know it's happening. And um, you know, we want to promote greater diversity in, in Formula One because we don't reflect, uh, you know, for, as you say, Lewis is the only black driver in Formula One. Um, it has to be a meritocracy. We can't distort it because everybody sees that when it's distorted. But we have to give greater opportunity for, for people to to get on the ladder of motorsport and uh, succeed. Yeah, and it's obviously um, a very emotionally charged topic right now, but that makes it also difficult, I guess, because people's jobs haven't just stopped right now and that they can then focus all their time on uh, on anything that suddenly becomes a key topic. And before much more important things took hold, uh, as you alluded to earlier, uh, Formula One was looking at the new regulations that came in, the lower budget cap, and something that was getting fans um, very emotional then was the, an iconic name in Williams potentially being put up for sale. And I wanted to uh, throw some fan questions at you at this point, actually, because uh, one of them is from Anonymous Owl 1234. I try and give everyone a shout out, uh, even if they have usernames that I can't pronounce. But uh, they ask, uh, do you want to buy Williams and repeat 2009? <laughs> Well, 2009 was forced upon me, so uh, if the truth be known, there was no option. Um, I don't, but I think what's encouraging is there's quite a lot of sensible people looking at Williams because they can see the opportunities in the future. And I think they can see the improving landscape of Formula One economically, uh, commercially, um, the competitiveness that an independent team should be able to have in the future. And I think they see that see it as a prime time. Even in these extremely challenging times, they still see it as an opportunity. So um, I think there's every chance uh, Williams will be taking on some new partners in the future. We'd like to see it stay as Williams and stay with the heritage and history of Williams. We think that's that's a it's a great team, and um, we'd like to retain that. So and I think there's some fairly sensible people now looking at uh, the opportunity to uh, get involved with Williams and give it the support it needs to be successful in the future. Yeah, it, it that allows someone maybe to come into Formula One through an existing team. But a couple of questions then sort of spun off from that saying, uh, with Williams' future up in the air, what's the outlook for new teams coming in? And kind of specifically, what went wrong with the last three new teams we had that failed to make it? Obviously, Haas have stayed around on a different business model. Um, and what would it take today for a new team to come in and, and stay in the sport? Um, I think the, the problem in the past was there was no control over spending. And the commercial model, the... the, the um, payments to the teams was very heavily distorted in terms of the benefits for the top teams and virtually very poor payments for the smaller teams. Um, as of next year, that slope, if you can imagine it as a slope, has now done that. Uh, it's flattened. And the smaller teams or 
you know, the teams in the midfield and the second half of the grid will be getting a much bigger proportion of the pie than they've ever done before. Um, you know, the size of the pie depends on the success of Formula One. And Formula One was in a great place six months ago. It's, uh, it's going to meet this challenge and no doubt it will have an impact on us. But I think in another six months, 12 months, we, we can get that. Um, we can really get it uh, back to where it was. And so, um, you know, for a, for a smaller team, there's several aspects, but one is that the commercial model is far more viable. We want uh, a small team to be profitable. We need them to wash their faces at least. So with our prize money and with a reasonable uh, stable of sponsors, they should be able to uh, find the funding they need to run the team. Um, the rules are changing such that um, a lot of the technology will be spread amongst the teams. So, for instance, we have um, open source design components. So a lot of components, the top teams may design, but the small teams can have a look at their designs and see if that's something that they want to use themselves. Uh, the sharing of parts where they're not competitively critical uh, is going to be far more widespread in the future. So really an extension of the Haas model. But importantly, we're keeping the identity of the cars. The, the bodywork must all be unique. There's a lot of aspects of the cars which must belong to the team. So we still keep that identity. And then there's the, the budget cap, which um, particularly as it kicks in uh, in the next couple of years, is going to mean that even if you can't reach that amount of spending, those that can are not going to be that far ahead of you. They're not going to be spending two or three times the amount that you spend. They're maybe going to be spending 20, 30% more than you can spend. So it's achievable. And suddenly you can get, you know, you can have your day in the sun. You can get on the podium and maybe even win a race uh, as a small team. And, and it's still a meritocracy. And, and we've always been critical about that. We've always been uh, assuring that they maintain the integrity of the sport. The best should always win. Um, but the gap between the best and somebody doing a very good job on a, a more modest budget will be reduced dramatically. Mm -hmm. Well, just to combine a couple of questions, because uh, I'm worried we're running out of time. Um, one uh, aspect that's changing, obviously, is the aerodynamic regulations and, well, the technical regulations in 2022. But we also have the aerodynamic testing restrictions that look like they could hopefully level the playing field a bit more as well. Just how much of a, a game changer do you think that's actually going to be as a combination that Formula One has now managed to put together to, to spread performance across the field and make it more open? Well, we looked at other sports and uh, obviously because of the uh, American um, element that we have now in our business, uh, they're very keen on the NFL. So you have the NFL draft pick and that's something which clearly doesn't distort the competition but it gives some extra support for the teams which are not perhaps at the front at the time. Um, but it's quite subtle. It's almost behind the scenes. It's quite an event in itself, but it's quite subtle. It's behind the scenes. And the team still has to go out there on the pitch and win the race uh, or win the game. And, and so we wanted something which would help push that, but not be a handicap. So... You know, if you're a top team, you have less uh, aerodynamic research than a team that's trying to catch up. 
and first time Formula One's done anything like that. And we feel that it's it's still in, it still maintains all the integrities I've spoken about, still maintains all the competitions I've spoken about, and they have to go on the track and win the race. We're not making one car heavier than the other. We're not we're not doing things of that nature. So um, we're not trying to create some balance of power where we take horsepower away from one car and give it to another. So the team that has more opportunity needs to use it. But if they do a bad job, they won't win races. And the team that has a bit less opportunity but does a great job will win races. Mm. And just a final two then. Uh, one is a bit of a sidestep to another bit of big news we had recently about Sebastian Vettel leaving Ferrari and Unmeshed Data 26 uh, wants to know uh, if he'll stay in Formula One, do you think? And if not, what do you think his legacy will be if he were to leave at this point as a four-time world champion who seems to have been kind of eased out of Ferrari by the, the new driver? Well, I think it's very fascinating to see how Sebastian responds this year. I think, um, you know, inevitably racing drivers tend to get judged on their last performance. And I think Sebastian's performance this year will be an important um, uh, part of what people, uh, if he should leave, I hope he doesn't leave. I hope he finds a good racing seat in the future because he's a great driver. Um, and uh, But I think how he performs this year is going to be fascinating. Uh, not an easy situation for him. But um, I think how he handles himself in these uh, the rest of this year is going to be uh, 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 very interesting. So, great driver, uh, very thoughtful. Always, I mean, I've you know, I've had several meetings with him about the future of the sport and so on. He's very much a traditionalist. He knows a lot about the sort of history of the sport. He's um, uh, so and. He always gives a worthwhile opinion on things that uh, is worth listening to. But he is a great, he is a world champion. And um, you don't win world championships by accident. You win them because of talent and applying yourself and being at the right team. And so um, he's been a great world champion. And I hope he can carry on in Formula 1 in a, in a suitable place. And then just to finish off, talking of world champions uh, and the sports history, it's it's all about Braun GP. Um the username Snyder for Balloon Door said, uh, it's not a question, just thank you very much for getting me into the Formula One in 2009. Uh, they were a huge right. fan off the back of that. Um, but a few questions came in about Braun. Uh, the main two were, would the car have won with the Honda engine if you'd still had the Honda engine? Was it that good? Um, and how did you settle on the livery? Because it's actually had a resurgence now because Jensen Button's using it in his own kind of racing series and uh, even in esports. Yeah, it's... Um... Uh, would it run with a Honda engine? I think we would have won races. Uh, there's no doubt the Mercedes engine was better than the Honda engine that I knew. But we were doing a revamp of the Honda engine. Uh, the engines were frozen at that period, but we'd had a concession to allow us to try and improve the Honda engine. So I never really got to see what the new Honda engine would have been like. So it's difficult to judge. Um, I'm pretty confident that even if the Honda engine hadn't been quite as good as Merck, we would have won some races. Whether we would have won the championships, another matter. Um, delivery was, was uh, we had a graphics designer work for us, a French guy, and with no sponsors, he had complete freedom to do what he wanted. Um, that was one of the bonuses. 
because normally you have to do a, a livery that reflects your sponsors and partners. We didn't have any, so we were able to do exactly what he wanted. He literally came up with it. He came up with it very quickly. Great combination of colours, quite distinctive. And then a little while ago, Jensen called me and asked if I minded him using it for his uh, some of his racing program, which he's uh, which he's done. And I'm quite proud that he's done that. So um, it's. Uh, and I, I still see people walking around with broad GP hats on, which is fantastic. So uh, uh, really still immensely proud of that period. And it was a wonderful time for me and the rest of the guys and people in that team. Yeah, it's great to see the delivery still around and Jensen taking it on. And like you say, it, it's uh, a lot of memories people have of that year, even though it was just one season. Uh, but hopefully, scooter, I saw a scooter in Italy painted in that style. And uh, the guy recognised me and dragged me over to show me his scooter that he painted in, in Braun GP colours. Wow. I should have trademarked it. There could have been money in it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's... It shows just how uh, inspiring it was, wasn't it, that season for mm. a lot of people. Uh, and hopefully um, the the changes that Formula One's making now that you're helping oversee will open the opportunity for more things like that uh, and more of these fairy tale stories that, w- that we talk about. Right. I hope so. So, Ross, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know you're very busy and uh, yeah, it never stops. Um, and now we're all looking forward to going back racing. So. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll see everyone soon and be able to entertain some fans uh, in the near future. Right, thanks, Chris. So there we go. Plenty of different topics. And while it doesn't sound like Williams Braun Racing is on the horizon, there was some really interesting insight into the sport's future there. Now, I mentioned at the start that there will be another special episode soon, as I'll be talking about Lewis Hamilton's comments and the lack of diversity in F1 with Sam Collins, who is one of the very few black journalists regularly attending races. It's a topic he's keen to talk about for a number of reasons, so keep listening out for that one, hopefully over this coming weekend. And you can find previous podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Podbean, as well as my regular content on Racer.com, as well as on Motorsport Magazine from time to time. And that's all stuff that's promoted alongside my often uninformed opinions on social media at Chris Medland F1. I hope you enjoyed it, but don't worry if you didn't. It's over now. Sports Social Podcast Network.